You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Welcome to this episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich, the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference. And today's show, we're going to be talking about Lent and preparing for Lent. We've got uh, Father Tim McCree. He is the uh, rector at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Canton, a longtime friend and former pastor and just a colleague in, uh, uh, in ministry. And, and so it's good to have Tim on the show today. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be here with you. Well, Tim, um, we're coming up close to Lent. March the 1st is Ash Wednesday. And, uh, you know, I know that you've been preparing. Uh, The Episcopal Church may do it a little bit different than we as Methodists do. But uh, uh, tell us what you're doing to prepare for uh, that 40 days. Well, Lent, of course, is 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter, Sundays excluded. And it's always good to remember that, that Sundays are feast days, not fast days. Each Sunday is a is a commemoration of the resurrection of Christ, being a little Easter, as it were. Uh, Ash Wednesday, the preparations for that vary from parish to parish and literally from uh, parishioner to parishioner as folks get ready for Lent. But the preparation that I like to do is basically this is a time leading up to Lent to do an inventory of my internal life, Hmm. my spiritual life, where I am in my walk with Christ, as it were, and think about things that I need to be unburdened from Hmm. as I prepare my heart and mind moving towards the Easter feast and the celebration of the resurrection. What what is there in me that I need to get rid of, Hmm. as it were? So the pre-Lent time for me has become a time of personal spiritual inventory taking and sort of opening the dark corners of my heart and my soul and sort of let some light in there to see what's going on that uh, is of God and what's going on that is not necessarily of God that I need to deal with with God's help to get rid of. So uh, personally for me, it's a time again of of taking inventory and taking stock. Okay. And... um... Um, now, I know in some years past, uh, this was a good time to take a retreat for you. It has been in the past. Unfortunately, uh, for probably 15 years, uh always went to Mepkin Abbey, mm-hmm. which is a Trappist monastery in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, to be in retreat with, with that community. But they have become so popular that it is hard to get a space now unless you plan at least a year in advance. Oh, wow. And unfortunately, I was not able to do that advance planning this year, so we couldn't get a slot at Mencken this year. So I'm not going to have a pre-Lent or Lenten retreat per se this year away from the parish. So what work I do internally, I'm going to have to do on site at St. Andrews with the people of God there, which is always a good thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, one of the things I do, and it's usually after Lent starts, uh, I I will go down to Belmont Abbey. That's been my uh, sort of key cornerstone over the years, and I spend time uh, with those monks. And, and of course, they're different uh, at a, in a college setting. It's not quite like Mep- Mepkin Abbey, and I went one time way back, mm-hmm. and, you know, that Cistercian kind of uh, life where, uh, you know, they're very serious uh, seven times a day as opposed to four at Belmont Abbey. And uh, 
Exactly. They're not strict observance, strict observance for nothing down there. They, exactly. they really take that seriously. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's one of those things that, um, you know, I encourage all, all of the people that I've served over the years to, you know, find that way to, um, look at their hearts, look at who they are. And if it means getting away, uh, it's a good thing. Uh, um, and especially to experience, uh, um, the liturgy uh, and um, the season in a way that isn't common to you. Now, we as Methodists, we have a little bit different thing uh, in that we don't have a Book of Common Prayer that leads us all the way through Lent. Um, A a lot of our United Methodist churches uh, don't use the lectionary every week, and, uh, and so it is usually not as cut and dried as it can be in the Episcopal Church. But um, one of the things that I always try and do during Lent, if even if I were doing preaching series and not using the lectionary at other times of the year, I would make sure and do something very uh, strict and observant during uh, the season of Lent, just to you know center myself and to uh, center the people in worship uh, around texts that the great number of churches in the world are using. Indeed, we do. Liturgically, of course, Ash Wednesday is one of the proper liturgies for special days in the Book of Common Prayer. And it is a very prescribed liturgy that is the best way, I think, to begin the season mm-hmm. uh, with the penitential psalms, with the imposition of ashes, with a, a more solemn tone to the liturgy. And this is a preparatory rite in, it, in itself for the whole season. And it gets our minds and hearts beginning to turn in a direction that will lead us back to the risen Christ on Easter Day. Mm. First of all, it reminds us of our own mortality and our own need to repent in this life in anticipation of the resurrected life that we will each receive in due course with Jesus. But uh, liturgically... Once we get into the season, we change the tone of the Sunday Eucharist also. On the first Sunday of Lent, we, excuse me, in Lent, because Sundays are not right. of Lent, but in Lent. But the first Sunday in Lent, we do the Great Litany, mm. which is an ancient responsorial prayer, which literally prays for everything right. under creation. And we do that in procession coming into the church, and we sing it, we intone it, and it's a sort of a stark beginning to the season. And then every other Sunday in the season of Lent, we begin with what's called the penitential order, mm. which includes a recitation of the Ten Commandments, kneeling every Sunday, again to remind us that we are under the authority of God who seeks to order our lives and the lives of all creation and all creatures in such a way that we can be in right relationship. And really the, the, the preparation for the season is again about taking an inventory of my own heart and soul so I can learn to be in better relationship with every other baptized person, certainly, but mm-hmm. with every other person generally mm-hmm. and with God himself. Yeah. Well, one of the things um, that I have done all the time that I've been a pastor um, as we prepare for uh, uh, Lent, we make sure and sing 
all the hallelujahs, get them all out of our system. Um, and so on Transfiguration Sunday, you know, we're going to sing a bunch of hallelujahs. Exactly. And then it's going to be stark without them until right. Easter Sunday. That's right. And um, my my folks, I, I actually uh, had to make sure that we were singing a doxology with hallelujahs now for several months so that they got used to it. And we're going to take it away. And, and and we'll go back to their old favorite, the old 100th uh, right. psalm. But um, but it's a kind of thing that uh, um, I think we're going to see some stark contrast there. Um, we don't normally do um, a, a prayer of confession every Sunday. We certainly do it on Eucharistic Sundays, but we don't do it every Sunday. We're going to be doing it during uh, uh, the season of Lent. And that's going to be a stark difference. And, and so within our liturgy, within... You know, within the Methodist uh, tradition, we're going to have some, you know, landmarks. They're going to say, you know, this season is different than the rest of the year. And uh, and will call us to repentance, call us to uh, to look at our lives, call us to prepare for the resurrection. And uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that. I haven't done that in you know several years doing the various jobs that I've done. Um, it, it's going to be great to get back into um, the liturgy of that season, and I look forward to it. Indeed so. And, you know, since we worship with all of our senses, you know, changing the language is very important, as you point out. You know, get rid of the hallelujahs mm. and, and do the confession. And, again, turn our minds and our hearts. We do that also visually uh, at St. Andrew's, along with the change of the liturgical color with with the hangings and the vestments, we take all the brass, mm. the, the altar cross and the candlesticks and the altar book stand that are brass, they go out and wooden ones come in mm. to replace. The silver chalice and paten go out and pottery vessels come in to replace. And the uh, baptismal font, which is up in front of the congregation, highly visible, we take the water out of the baptismal font Mm. and put in a cactus plant and gravel (laughs) to show that we visually, we're in the desert now. We're in the wilderness making our 40 days journey, as it were. Yeah. Well, all of these signs and, and words of the season make a difference to a congregation and you know, I, over the years, I, I've just been amazed that people actually catch this. Yes. You know, they know yes. that it's happening, and uh, and they come up to you and say, "Wow, I had no idea, but you made it clear by these little bitty things that seem on the periphery, just changing the color, changing uh, from silver to pottery, going from water to cactus." But those little things all add up to say this season is important. That's right. And things begin, as you say, begin to sink into our minds and and begin to affect a change in us. And it's fascinating. It depends on which Christian you're talking to. Some will say, oh, I hate Lent. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's such a downer. And some will say, I love Lent. I love the change. And I particularly love the text of the hymns that we sing, Mm. which are more penitential and more inwardly focused on our spiritual development and life and that sort of thing. So it just depends on who you're talking to. But personally, I love Lynn. Me too. Well, we're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back, and we're going to get later in Lynn after the break. So here's a word from our sponsors. 
Hi, I'm Jane Boatwright-Wood, Conference Lay Leader, and with 30 exceptional folks representing 1,100 local churches and almost 300,000 lay members, I serve on the Board of Laity, where we encourage and equip laity in their understanding and appreciation of their role in the church. The laity are Christ's church in the community and the world. The laity are the primary way new folks get to know Christ in the United Methodist Church, and that's how we fulfill the mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ and transform the world. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build the church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. And you can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina by going to our show's website, which is umconnect.info. And so we're back now with uh, Father Tim McCree, and we're talking about Lent. And so we talked about preparing. We talked about Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, some of the changes of Lent. Um, Let's start moving toward uh, Holy Week. And, you know, we're a long way off, and we've got a lot to go before that, but I know that um, all the United Methodists that are listening to this right now are thinking, how am I going to do Holy Week this year? What what are some things that uh, we can expect? And so um, I think this is a good time to have that conversation, you know, this many weeks ahead. Um, tell us what's going to go on at St. Andrew's in terms of Holy Week this year. Well, we, uh, our Holy Week commemoration because it's really not a celebration it's a commemoration of things leading up to the celebration of easter the events in the life of jesus during his last week on earth and so that takes some preparation also and some refocusing and some thinking about what's really going on here and why are we doing this year after year and what are we supposed to learn how are we supposed to grow how are we supposed to change through these liturgical experiences Uh, we do all of the proper liturgies for holy week that are provided in the book of common prayer and we also during that week will do daily morning prayer uh, in the church for anybody that wants to come and usually there's just two or three of us and sometimes just me that's okay too because again i need that discipline right in my own life uh, spiritually as well but uh, things really begin fully for us on Monday, Thursday with uh, a full service that includes the commemoration of the Holy Eucharist and the establishment of that sacrament by Christ on uh, that Thursday evening. But we also do foot washing huh? at St. Yep. Andrews uh, every Monday, Thursday in that service. And also that's a time for our parish deacon, Russell Smith, to to preach because the theme is diaconal. It's about servanthood, particularly the foot washing Mm. uh, commemoration. You know, and he and I both participate in that, washing the feet of any of the congregation that want to come forward and have their feet washed. And I have just come to love that liturgy because it, it, it sort of compels one into a state of humility. Mm which is a good thing for me. Uh, and uh, it, it means a lot to me to have the privilege of washing the feet of my parishioners. Uh, 
also during that liturgy, uh, after the Eucharist is complete, the altar is stripped, all of the furniture, all of the decoration, everything in the church is stripped down to the bare walls and the bare altar. Mm. And uh, that is all carried out in sort of a solemn procession. Uh, We have enough reserved sacrament, that is consecrated bread and wine, to administer Holy Communion on Good Friday because you cannot celebrate the Eucharist canonically in our church on Good Friday. Right. So we administer from the reserved sacrament. And so we take that reserved sacrament down to a place uh, generally called an altar of repose with the candle there to signify the presence of Christ in the sacrament. And people, if they wish, can do devotions before that reserved sacrament. But it's there separate from the altar, separate from its normal place to say that that altar has been stripped bare. Mm. And the the uh, sacramental presence of Christ has been taken out of the sanctuary to another place. Mm. So we are there in preparation for Good Friday, which is the commemoration of the passion of our Lord Jesus. Okay. Holy Week, of course, actually begins on the Sunday before. Yeah, Palm on, Sunday. On Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday or both. Right. And we, we commemorate both events, the triumphal entry, with a liturgy of the palms, which we do outside, blessing the palms, and then make a procession into the church. And then during the Eucharistic liturgy, we read the entire Passion Gospel from either year A, B, or C, depending, of course, on the year. So we'll read Matthew's Passion Mm. on Palm Sunday this year. And on that Sunday, I don't preach. We do the uh, Passion Gospel uh, in parts, with mm-hmm. parishioners and members of the choir and the deacon and myself taking different parts in a dramatic reading of the Passion. And then we just let that sit mm. with the congregation for a few moments before we proceed on with the Nicene Creed in the liturgy. And then when we get to Good Friday, we do the Passion again in the context of that liturgy but it's always the passion from St. John's Gospel okay. on Good Friday. Uh, and then we do a procession of a rugged wooden cross into the church during that liturgy and have devotions before that, that cross. And again, the altar is stripped. Everything is just bare wood with this stark, rugged, handmade wooden cross in front of the congregation to commemorate the Lord's passion and our salvation, which was purchased by his passion and death. Mm. And it's it's a very moving, stark, but powerful liturgy that we do on Good Friday. Yeah. Well, um, some comparisons. Uh, one thing that we'll be doing at Faith, we I won't be preaching that day. We're going to be um, reading the entire Passion Gospel from Matthew. And um, we'll be doing it in parts. Um, we'll also include uh, various hymns and uh, uh, music of that season uh, and of that day. And uh, and uh, I wouldn't call it lessons and carols, but it has right. that effect. Indeed. Um, and that we're not going to read it completely outright, but we'll mm-hmm. uh, cut it into pieces. Uh, and then as music is sung, people can reflect on that. Indeed. Um, United Methodists, for the most part, um, have 
uh, regularly use Monday, Thursday, Good Friday services. Um, uh, as I talk to people around the county, you know, they grew up in the old Methodist church where nobody even heard of those uh, days. Right. And so um, the younger pastors coming out, and some of us that have been around a while, uh, when we started instituting you know, those services, uh, they said, you know, this has been an important part of our um, our life as Christians is that, you know, celebrating that week. So um, the parish that I'm a part of, we've got five churches that meet together. We're sharing Monday, Thursday and Good Friday services this year. And, um, and so on Monday, Thursday, there'll be uh, our own version, you know, not from the Book of Common Prayer, but right. our own version with uh, the Lord's Supper. And then on Good Friday, there'll be a tenebrae service and, and the reading of the gospel mm-hmm. um, uh, again. So it'll be a, a, you know, a very different year um, for those five churches, and I'm, I'm looking forward to serving with that. The one thing that we haven't done, and it's my favorite service of the year, is uh, uh, on after Holy Saturday, you you get the uh, the beginnings of Easter, and uh, what do we call that service? Uh, it's called the Great Vigil. Of the Easter. Great Vigil, and uh, that was my favorite at St. Andrews. Uh, uh, was getting there at dark on Saturday and uh, lighting the fire outside and processing in, and uh, nobody could believe that you could have a service on Saturday evening and go for a couple hours or more, and then start again on, on Sunday morning. <laughs> And that is a a wonderful, it is the central act of Christian worship from ancient times, really, was the great vigil of Easter. And the whole liturgical calendar is built around that event and forward and backward, really, from that event. So Easter is, is the central moment in Christianity and, indeed, the central moment in God's restoration and reconciliation of all things in the created universe. Mm. And so the great vigil of Easter, again, begins in darkness, out of doors, with the kindling of a new fire and the blessing of that fire, the lighting of the paschal candle, the, the great Easter candle, which is carried in by the deacon, and then the singing of an ancient hymn called the Exultet, uh, which commemorates that holy night when God brought Israel out of darkness in Egypt into the promised land and brings us out of the darkness of sin and death into the promised land of the resurrected life with Christ. And then we hit Scripture hard. Mm. We go through, I think there's a total of nine readings that can be done. We're down, I think, to about six now. Uh, But from the beginning of creation through human disobedience, through the calling of the prophets, through the coming of Christ, and leading us up to the Easter gospel. Uh, and then reclothing the altar, hmm. which is still stripped and bare from Thursday night up until the middle of the liturgy on Easter Eve or Holy Saturday, the great vigil. And so all of the flowers, the candles, the brass, the silver, the altar hangings, the pulpit hanging, everything is brought back in, in the middle of that liturgy before you get to the actual celebration of the Eucharist Hmm. to show that Easter is in fact here. The font is refilled, the water is blessed, the people are sprinkled or asperged with freshly blessed water to remind them of their own baptism and our participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus through holy baptism. 
Well, all I can say is that I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to get into the season of Lent and move through that whole passion narrative and, and move to Easter. And I hope that folks listening today are feeling the same way and that this is a grand opportunity for us, the Christian church, all these many different denominations, all of our, our different traditions, and of, of course the uh, commonalities between United Methodist and the Episcopal Church with our Anglican uh, forerunners, the Wesley brothers. Um, it, it just means a lot to me that we can share these experiences here. Indeed so. And one of the things that I love about the community of Canton is that we are so ecumenical. And every Thursday in Lent, we have an ecumenical Lenten service at First United Methodist Church in Canton. And then on Good Friday, we have a ecumenical procession of the cross through the town of Canton. Mm. And that's been going on for decades. And it's a wonderful, holy, ecumenical joining together of our various traditions. Well, we're going to close the show right now. But I hope that everybody listening will begin preparing for Lent, begin preparing our congregations, begin preparing ourselves for that great Easter mystery, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, Michael. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for being here. And we'll be back next week connecting United Methodists and others with their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. Find out more about them at our show's website, umconnect.info. You've been listening to Connect.